was the baby born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago? The answer to that question divides people into the various religions of the world, and it also determines where everyone will spend eternity. In this message from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-6, through 6, David Platt points us to the astounding reality that Jesus Christ is fully divine, God the Son, and yet He took on flesh to save us. Though we can't fully comprehend the mystery of the Trinity, we can know God truly as He has revealed Himself in His Word. This is the Radical with David Platt podcast. Here is David with a message titled, The Mystery of the Trinity. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Philippians chapter 2. Feel free to use table of contents if you need to. Philippians chapter 2. So, indeed, the Christmas season is upon us. And let's be honest, we're pretty confused. Think about it. What images come to our minds when we think of Christmas? A nice warm home, maybe with a fireplace or a family feast, maybe even with snow on the ground outside. If it's going to be this cold, at least have some snow. Gifts around a tree, people of all ages playing with all kinds of new toys, parties, lights, of all colors, with special songs about mistletoe and reindeer, one of whom has a red nose. Don't you think all of this is an odd way to celebrate a relatively poor couple going through the pain of childbirth in a dirty stable? No toys in sight, no lights except for one star shining above. The only music, the song of angels in the distance. It's no wonder it's easy for us to miss the point of Christmas. And my aim is not to sound cliche, don't forget Christ and Christmas, because even in the church with a focus on Christ, we can still miss the point. We can talk about Mary and Joseph and wise men and shepherds and a stable and an inn, about all kinds of circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. And as important as those things are, they're not the point either. Because the wonder of Christmas is not found primarily in the details surrounding the birth of Jesus. Instead, the wonder of Christmas is found primarily in the identity of this baby in a manger. This is where the wonder really lies in the surprising, shocking, perplexing, mind-boggling reality that God came to us in the form of a crying, screaming, bedwetting baby who was unable to do more than lie down and stare and wiggle and make noises. A baby who needed to be fed and changed and taught like every single one of us has needed at one time. Who is this baby in the manger? That's a historic question that was debated from the first days of the church. It's the decisive question that drives the wedge between Christianity and Judaism. 
and Christianity and Islam and has caused all kinds of cults to arise? It's a critical question. Really, it's the most staggering claim in all of Christianity that Jesus was and is God in human form. Think about it. Once you grant that Jesus is God, all other stories about Jesus make sense. Jesus walking on water is not too surprising if he's the God who made the water. Jesus feeding over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish is not too shocking if he's the one who made the stomachs of every single person eating the meal. Jesus healing people of disease, casting out demons, even rising from the dead. If Jesus is God in the flesh, what's astounding is not that he rose from the grave. It's that he even died in the first place, right? Everything in Christianity hinges on this question. It's an awesome question. If Jesus is God, if this baby is God, this is definitely a truth. Far too amazing to drown out with sleigh bells and stockings. This is a truth wonder of worthy of awe and wonder and solemn worship. And it's a personal question because the answer to this question, who is Jesus, carries ramifications for every single one of us in this gathering right now and for all of eternity. So here's the plan. Over the course of the next few weeks leading up to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we're going to go to one passage in the Bible that I believe more than any other describes the wonder of Christmas. But the interesting thing is, this passage contains no Christmas scenery. Bethlehem is not even mentioned. Neither are shepherds or wise men or angels or Joseph or Mary or mangers or oxen. None of them even appear in this passage. In fact, this text comes in the middle of an exhortation for the church to humbly come together in love for one another and to look out for each other's interests. Look at it with me. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, talking to the church, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What a picture. God calling his church to be unified in Christ, to have the same mind and the same love, one mind. And what is that mind? That which is yours in Christ Jesus. All those who are in Christ, who believed in him, who've trusted in him as Savior and Lord of their lives, you have 
the mind of Christ. It's yours. And thus begins in the next verse what may be the most profound statement of the Christmas story in all the Bible. F.B. Meyer, a preacher of old, said the verses that follow this are unapproachable in their unexampled majesty. Verse 6, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's what we're going to do. Over the course of December, we're going to mine this cave of wonder in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And we're going to discover four truths about this baby born in a manger. And we're going to see, and I hope feel in a fresh way, not just majesty and wonder and awe, but the massive implications of who Jesus is amidst whatever is going on in your life, in your family, in your work, and in the world around us right now. And all it's going to take today for this to happen is one verse, verse 6. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And we'll go ahead and read verse 7 just to make the connection. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So this baby born in a manger 2,000 years ago was in the form of God. What does that mean? Well, the word translated right before this was, is huparko. The reason I share that, so just to kind of put a connection to get the essence of what the Bible's saying here. Hupo, which means under, and arche, which means beginning. So we would get words like archaic from that. So basically mean, means that Jesus has existed from the beginning in the form of God. And the Bible clarifies what that means when it says that Jesus from the beginning was equal with God. So Jesus has existed from the beginning in the form of God and equal with God. And this is not the only time the Bible talks this way about Jesus. Just a few other examples you might write down. We won't have time to turn to them all, so I'll put them up here on the screen. In John's account of Jesus' life, he doesn't tell us any of the details surrounding Jesus' birth in terms of Joseph and Mary and manger. Instead, this is how he starts, by writing John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word here is how 
John refers to Jesus as the revelation of God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So in the beginning, before anything was made, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Which is why later in John, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he prays in John 17, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. In a similar way, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, describes Jesus this way. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. The image of the invisible God, the one who created all things, and in whom all things hold together. In another passage, Hebrews 1, tells us long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, talking about Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also, he created the world. He is... Talking about Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Do you hear what the Bible is clearly teaching in all of these places? Going back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Jesus is God. He exists and has always existed in the form of God. He is equal with God. This baby born in a manger is God here with us in the flesh. Just one more place. Go back to John chapter 1, verse 14, where John says, and the word, remember that's talking about Jesus, the word who was with God and is God became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So how are we to understand this? Because even here we're seeing God described as both the father and the son. Which leads us to what the Bible teaches us about the mystery of the Trinity. Now I use that word mystery intentionally. The Trinity, the truth that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a mystery. It's not a contradiction, which would be a condition in which at least two things are truly contrary to each other. It's not a paradox where you have two things that you don't think go together, but as soon as you hear it, but maybe they do, like jumbo shrimp. Microsoft works, or anyway. 
Sorry, sorry. No offense. So it's not a contradiction, not a paradox, but a mystery. A truth that our minds cannot comprehend, but we accept by faith. One theologian named J. Rodman Williams said, because all Christian doctrines relate to God, who is ultimately beyond our comprehension, there will inevitably be some element of mystery or transcendence that cannot be reduced to human understanding. Or John Calvin put it this way, a man with all his shrewdness is as stupid about understanding by himself the mysteries of God as a donkey is incapable of understanding musical harmony. And a mystery is a hard thing for us to swallow in our pride. A.W. Tozer said, we are all inclined to reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get God, Tozer said, where we can use him. We want a God we can in some measure control. But God is greater than any of us could ever comprehend or certainly control. And just because we can't comprehend God completely doesn't mean we can't know God truly. Because God has made himself known to us in this way. If you've ever wondered how to summarize what God teaches us about himself, specifically his Trinitarian nature. Let me give you three truths to write down that help us understand what Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, is telling us about Jesus, this baby born in the manger, being in the form of God and equal with God. So here's truth number one. There is one God. So this is the most basic truth in all the Bible, taught from the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. The Bible makes very clear from the start, there is one God who created the heavens and the earth. The first words in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, are, I am the Lord your God, one God, who brought you out, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. One of the most famous passages in the Old Testament, known as the Shema in Hebrew, because that's the word for hear in Hebrew. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel. This is what I want you to hear, God saying, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So there is one God. That's truth number one. Truth number two is that God is three persons. One God, three persons. In the Bible, this one God reveals himself to us using plural pronouns. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's God speaking. Genesis chapter 11 Verse 6 and 7, the Tower of Babel, <laughs> the Lord said, Behold, they're one people. They all have one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. And there confuse their language. 
Or think Isaiah's call in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And all throughout the Bible, we see three distinct persons. At the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, we see when Jesus, God the Son, was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Who's saying that? There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In two verses. This is what we say to each other at the end of every uh, single Sunday we're together. We leave, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Or take a passage like 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, which we studied a while back. Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who are elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ the Son and for sprinkling with his blood. The Bible teaches over and over again that the one God overall is three persons. And that truth number three, each person is fully God. Each person is not one-third God. They're not a part of God. They're each fully God. God the Father is fully God. Take a passage like Matthew 6 on worry. A good word for anyone who is tempted to be anxious about anything in your life or health or family or work or the world around us right now. Jesus says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you eat, will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, that I tell you. Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So God the Father is fully God. And the Holy Spirit is fully God. In Acts chapter 5, when Ananias lied about his offering, Peter said to him, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to who? To God. When you lie to the Holy Spirit, you are lying to God because the Holy Spirit is fully God. And what we're seeing in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, is that Jesus the Son is fully God. Not part of God, but in the form of God, equal with God. It's just one other example among many in the Bible. Titus chapter 2, verse 13 describes how we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, who is who? Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. 
So there is one God revealed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are all fully God. And this is a mystery. It's not a contradiction. The Bible is not saying, and we are not saying, that God is one and not one in the same way. The Bible is saying, and we are saying, that God is three in one. Which means, so now we come back to this shockingly simple verse in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, this baby born in a manger that we celebrate at Christmas, has existed forever in the form of God. That's very different from you or me. Or every other person ever born in the world. You did not exist. I did not exist. No one in the world among the now 8 billion people today existed in the beginning, in eternity past. But Jesus did as God. I just want you to think about what this means. Even for your life, my life right now. This means so many things. I'll just list four of them here. First, the one who came to the world 2,000 years ago is worthy of all of your worship today. So yes, it is right to sing and to sing loudly, to lift up your hands and your voice with shouts of praise to Jesus. He is the eternally existent Son of God by whom you have been created, in whom you are being held together right now. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. So now the details of the story start to make sense why wise men from the nations would come to the house of a baby and bow down and worship with exceedingly great joy and offer extravagant gifts. Why? Because Jesus is God. And he is worthy of the worship of every man, woman, and child from every nation of the earth. Of course, a multitude of angels in the heavenly host would sing glory to God in the highest because a baby who has, has been born who is Christ, the what? The Lord God. Oh, man, woman, child in this gathering, in this moment, do not demean Jesus with monotonous religious motion and superficial religious traditions this Christmas. Jesus is not worthy of your passing thoughts or patronizing activities. He is God, and he is worthy of your highest adoration and supreme worship. That's number one. Number two gets better. The reason he came to the world is because of his love for you. And I just want you to feel this right where you are sitting right now. Being in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature, form of a servant, being born in the likeness 
of man. So we're gonna talk about that verse next week. I can't wait. It's probably my favorite. Well, they're both favorites. They're all favorites, but that's really, really favorite. But suffice to say for now, Jesus did not have to do this. That's the whole point of the passage. He was looking not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And who are the others? And the truth that booms from the pages of the Bible is that you are the other. I am the other. You and me. Sinners who deserve holy judgment. So for those of you who are visiting today or exploring Christianity, this is the core message of the Bible that we have all been created fearfully and wonderfully and beautifully by God for relationship with God. But we have all sinned, rebelled against God. We've turned aside from God and his ways to ourselves and our own ways. And if we die in this state of rebellion, we will spend eternity separated from God and judgment due our sin. But the good news of the Bible, the greatest news in the world, the news that makes Christmas Christmas is that God has not left us alone in this fallen world of sin and suffering and death. God has come to us in the person of Jesus, born in the likeness of men to serve us, to die on a cross, to pay the price for our sin, for your sin and my sin, and then to rise from the grave so that anyone, anywhere, no matter who you are or what you have done, if you will turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, you'll be forgiven of all your sin and restored to relationship with God for all of eternity. Jesus, this baby born in a manger, why did he come? He came to die for you. Just feel that when you're sitting for you. This is the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. So if you've never believed in Jesus, put your trust in Jesus. Let today be the day yes. when you are restored to relationship with God for all of eternity. And when you do, and for all who have, remember every moment of this Christmas season that the entire reason we have Christmas, just when you see everything around you, just stop and remember. The whole reason for it is because the mysterious Trinitarian God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he loves you and me and every single person in the world. And not only does he love you, but for all who believe in Jesus, he is with you. So we're starting to run out of time. I'm gonna put these last two close together. So third implication for your life. Realize what we're seeing here. This means that the one who came to the world 2,000 years ago is with you right now. Remember, that's what his name means, Emmanuel, God with us. And you think about what happened after Jesus died, rose from the grave. Before Jesus, God with us, ascended into heaven, what did he say? 
We say it to each other every week. Or where is the last words in the book of Matthew? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That cannot be if Jesus was not God. He was just a man. He was physically leaving, ascending into heaven. But because Jesus is God, he said, when I leave here physically, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to live in you, and I, I will be with you always. Christian amidst whatever you are walking through in your life right now, know this, you are not alone. You're not alone. And those moments where it feels like you're alone, you are not alone. Jesus is with you. And think about what that means. So this is fourth implication. Think about this. For all who believe in Jesus, the one who is with you is the one who rules the world. Not just anybody is with you. The one who's with you is the author and sustainer of all creation and the ruler with all authority in heaven and on earth. That's who's with you. I obviously don't know all that you're walking through right now. But I do want to remind you today of this word coming to you straight from God amidst whatever you're going through. Amidst dark nights in your soul, in those difficult days of your family, in that doctor's appointment that you dread, when hopes are failing and tears are falling, and doubts are rising and questions are coming, when you're battling with chronic pain or cancer, when you're living with special needs in you or around you, when you're struggling through anxiety or depression, or even fighting with sin and temptation, whatever you are facing and whatever this fallen world is bringing your way, know this, the one who calms the wind and the waves The one who causes diseases and demons to run. The one who calls the dead to life. Jesus, the ruler of the world, he is with you. And he is for you. And if he is with you, and if he is for you, then nothing in this world can stand against you. Ever, always to the end of the age, he will never leave you alone. And he, with all he is and all he has, will give you everything you need to press on and to persevere until the day when he brings you to be with him. All glory be to Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Will you bow your heads with me all across this room, other locations? Hi. I want to ask just every single person with the sound of my voice. 
Do you believe in this, Jesus? Have you put the, your trust in your life now and forever in him? If the answer to that question is not a resounding yes, I encourage you, hear God's spirit speaking to you right now. And just say in response in your heart right now, in this moment, just say, God, I believe. I believe you've come to save me from my sin, to restore me to relationship with you. So today, I put my trust in Jesus, God in the flesh. And what he did on the cross to forgive me of all my sin. How he rose from the dead so that I could have new and eternal life, everlasting life with you. And you pray that to God, you express that in your heart to God. The Bible says he does that. He forgives you of your sin. He restores you to relationship with him. And when you do, and for all who have, can we just pray Jesus, there is no one like you. We bow our heads and our hearts in wonder and awe at who you are. And we say, especially over the next few weeks, we want to know you more. We want to see you more clearly, know you more truly and worship you more appropriately. Keep us, we pray, guard us from missing the point. As we enjoy all kinds of activities and different things that come with this season, God, we pray that at the center of it all would be deepening understanding of Jesus and affection for Jesus. We want to love you, God, with all our heart and soul and mind. We want to trust you, God, amidst all the things that are going on in our lives. I pray that these truths would bring comfort and strength and peace and joy and hope, especially for those who are walking through difficult days. Only you, Jesus, only you can do this. We praise you for your word, God. We love it. We love what one verse can do to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. And all God's people said, amen. Well, that's it for today's episode. I'm your host, Stacy Martin. For additional articles, podcasts, events, and more, visit Radical.net or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.